Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. There is a fire that has been burning in the Blue Ridge Mountains for the last 200 years. It was originally started in a log cabin by a man named Tom Dalton. He was using a flame and a piece of steel and he lit a spark and lighted a fire. Since that time, the flame has moved from cabin to cabin, from generation after generation the Daltons have kept the light alive. It is now the oldest continuous flame in the United States. Family members say it takes enormous effort to keep this fire burning. In the summertime, the fire consumes a cord of wood each month. And yet the fire burns because the Daltons have remained faithful to the flame. 200 years is a long time to keep a light lit. But what if I told you this morning of a fire that has been burning, not just for 200 years, but for 2,000 years? A flame that has never once flickered. Jesus lit a fire on the day of Pentecost. Tongues of fire were seen dancing over the heads of his disciples. The good news of Jesus started a blaze that's been on the move ever since. And from cabin to cabin, from heart to heart, from generation to generation, Christians have kept the fire burning by walking as children of light. And at times, it's not been easy. Enormous sacrifices, great effort have gone into keeping the fire ablaze. Men like Hugh Latimer, the early English reformer, was burned at the stake for his faith in Jesus. Latimer offered up his own body to keep the torch aflame. While tied to a burning post, Latimer shouted with his dying breath, We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And it never has been. It's still burning brightly. Today, godly men and women still glow as lights for the Lord. They shine brightly. They keep the flame lit. And we too have been called to be faithful to the flame. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, Jesus tells his disciples both then and now, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This morning, we're going to study that calling. The first seven verses here of Ephesians chapter 5 teach us how to walk in love, even in the midst of a lust-filled world. Now, these next seven verses instruct us as to how to walk as light in the darkness. For you and I are children of light. 
Paul begins his exhortation in verse 8. For you were once darkness. Now notice before we came to Jesus, we didn't just walk in darkness. According to Paul, we were once darkness. Our lives were characterized by darkness. You know, it's interesting how the dictionary defines this word. Just look it up. Darkness means the absence of light. Rather than understood by what it is and what it possesses, this word is defined by what it's not and what it lacks. And I think that's important. See, we like to attach all kinds of characteristics to this word darkness. We play eerie organ music. And we peer through thick fog and willow trees. And we go to the graveyard in our minds. That's where we're going to find darkness. Or we think of darkness as what's violent or vulgar or voyeuristic or sensual or greedy or profane or pornographic. But these are just the byproducts of darkness. These are the evils that latch on to a person while they are in the dark. It's like walking into a a basement, a dark basement. You feel a dampness, a coldness there. Creepy crawlers are scurrying about. You hear them. But that's, that's what the dark attracts over time. Dampness and coldness. Spiders and insects. But the darkness itself is simply an absence of light. Spiritually speaking, this means that a person can be religious and kind and nice And even full of good works and yet still be in the dark. Spiritual darkness is also simply the absence of God's light. All kinds of evil may attach itself to the darkness. But a person is darkness and in the dark for one reason. They lack God's fire and light. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 15. The scripture refers to God as the blessed and only potentate. The King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Paul tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. You see, God is not only light, he is the brightest light. God is like the sun. You know, peer at our sun for more than a few seconds and it'll blind you. And so it is with God. His brilliance is too intense for human eyes. He dwells in unapproachable light. In July of 2010, astronomers from the University of Sheffield in England, they announced that they had found what was believed to be the brightest star ever discovered. Not even a welding shield can enable you to gaze on this star. It's in glorious name, R136A. Doesn't sound too appealing, does it? This star, this, this with the strange name, has a mass 265 times greater than our sun. Its surface temperature is seven times hotter. Its luminosity is nine million times brighter. Imagine a star... Not just twice as bright as our sun in the sky, or even 10 times as bright, or 100 times, or 1,000 times, or if you could boggle, if your mind could comprehend it, a million times. But imagine a sun 9 million times brighter than our sun. 
while we would all want to ask, how can anything be so bright? And yet this isn't even a fraction of God's luminosity. The brightness of his light and his glory, Paul says, is unapproachable. In fact, John in his gospel, he he says it in the, the same truth in another way. In John chapter 1 verse 18, he tells us, no one has seen God at any time. If human eyes, unshaded, saw God, we would be fried. But John follows that thought with another. He says, the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. You see, the only way to see this blinding light of God's holiness is through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus told us in John 12, verse 45, He who sees me sees him who sent me. For I have come as light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Jesus is God in seeable form. Jesus is the digestible God. He's all that God is in all of his brilliance, but through the lens of grace and mercy. That way we can see him and that we can know God through Jesus Christ. And that really makes it quite simple, this definition for darkness. The person without Jesus is in darkness while those in Christ are children of light. As Paul puts it in verse 8, you were once darkness But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now there's a common illustration that as the moon is to the sun, so is the relationship of the Christian to God. That our light is not our own. We simply reflect God as the moon reflects the sunshine. Famous preacher Donald Barnhouse, he took the illustration one step further. He said that at times in the history of the church, Her witness has been like a full moon, bold and bright. It's filled up the night sky. Whereas at other times, it's been more like a crescent moon. There and shining, but just a slither of a moon. In short, we've walked as children of light to varying degrees of success. Church history is like the phases of the moon. We fluctuated between brighter and dimmer, fuller and thinner, but we've always shined. But this idea of a Christian as a moonbeam, as a mere reflection of God's light, I think is only partially true. Here's a better illustration. Think of a glow-in-the-dark Frisbee. Put the disc in a car's headlamp, let it soak up the light, and then watch it glow on its own. It's not just reflecting light now, it's glowing on its own. And likewise, God makes you and me, those who trust in Christ, he makes us fluorescent. We don't just reflect light as in a mirror. We actually hold the light within us. And then we radiate it to others. It's like the man who found an antique matchbox at a garage sale. It was supposed to light up in the dark. He gave it to his wife as a present But the wife was disappointed. It didn't seem to work. That is, until she noticed some writing on the side of the box. It was in French, and so she got a friend to translate it. It read, if you want me to shine in the night, then keep me in the light. And this is the principle that works in you and me. We don't just mirror God's light. We fellowship with Jesus. We absorb that light, and then we shine it to others. This is another way of thinking about what walking in the light looks like. But here's the best illustration. 
like the Dalton's fire in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Embrace Jesus as your Lord, and the Spirit of God will move the light that Jesus shined on earth into the furnace of your heart. The light of God that we shine isn't just light that we've absorbed or reflected. It's light that's generated by God within us. Did you know the human heart is combustible? When God puts his Holy Spirit in us, we catch fire and we give off his light. When God first created life in the universe, his spirit hovered over the darkness and the chaos. And that's when God spoke, let there be light. And there was light. And a similar miracle occurs in every believing heart. God's first work in us, as in the universe, is to hover over our darkness and our chaos. That's all we could really bring to him. But then he speaks his word into our lives and it sparks new life. He says, let there be light. And once again, there's light. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 compares God's first stroke of creation with his new creation in us. It says, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Recall before we came to Christ, we weren't just in darkness, we were darkness. And now the reverse is true. In Christ, we're not just in the light, we are light. As Christians, we don't just change environments. We don't just go from in the dark to in the light. Salvation is more than just moving into a lighted room. Something happens deep within you when you come to Jesus. God turns a switch on in your heart. You become transformed from dark to light. God moves his fire into the furnace of your heart. Ever notice that heart and hearth are the same word? And this enables us not just to shine for a few hours until the glow wears off and the shine starts to cease. No, this equips us to walk as children of the light in a dark world, even in the midst of evils that breed in dark places. You remember the story of Moses? Exodus 33 verse 18 tells us that Moses asked God, please show me your glory. And God obliged him, at least to a point. He set Moses off in a cave and he sheltered his eyes with his hand. And he allowed Moses to see his back as he passed by. And when Moses descended from the mountain, his face glowed with a light, with God's glory. I guess you could say Moses had the opposite of a five o'clock shadow. I mean, his face was illuminated with the light of the eternal God. And Paul picks up on this story in 2 Corinthians 3, and he mentions this Mo glow. He says, it was amazing, but it was temporary. It faded from Moses' face. In contrast, Paul says of people who are in Christ, who have received God's spirit, that God's glory remains in us. It isn't just a passing fancy, but we're being transformed from glory to glory. As a result, God's light now shines in us and then through us. The light of God's purity and presence, his brilliance and beauty now shines from and through your life. There was once a cathedral lined with stained glass windows all down the sides. And each window was a mosaic of one of the saints of the church. A little girl who attended the church, she was asked in Sunday school, what is a saint? She replied, thinking of those 
windows. She said, a saint is a person through whom the light shines through. And her definition was correct. It's Paul's definition here in verse 8. For just as it is not enough for us to know God's love, we should also walk in his love. Likewise, it's not enough for us to just have the light of God. We also need to walk as children of light. And you see, this has some ethical, some moral implications. For we're told in verses 8 and 9, Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Every day, you and I make a series of choices. We choose if we're going to walk in the light or lurk in the dark. Will we tell that customer the truth, or are we going to lie to make a sale? Will we confess that we were wrong, or in our pride, are we going to continue to deny our failure? Will we pursue what's wholesome, or will we indulge in what's sinful? See, we're always choosing whether we're going to be in the light, or whether we're going to hide in the shadows. People like to think of light and darkness in strictly a spiritual or an emotional sense, sort of as being enlightened. But you can't contemplate light and dark for long before it takes a moral turn, before it affects our behavior. You see, goodness happens in the light, whereas evil and sinful deeds fester in the darkness. Ask any police officer and they'll tell you most crimes happen when? At night, under the cover of darkness. For years, I've told my kids, nothing good happens after midnight. (laughs) Thus, walking in the light affects my character. This is why Paul mentions the three divine rays that blend together to make up God's light. Goodness to others, rightness before God, and truth in all things. Generosity and integrity and reliability are the three beams in God's flashlight. These are the values that shine his light. And if we walk as children of light, these are three traits that we'll prioritize in how we live and love and do business. Our generosity, our integrity, our reliability is what will attract people to the Jesus that we preach. Once there was a tragic automobile accident, a carload of teenagers were struck by a train, killed. That night, a crossing guard had been on duty. His job had been to walk out into the intersection and wave his lantern to warn off any cars of an oncoming train. After the accident, the man was arrested. He was placed on trial for negligent homicide. On the witness stand, the guard was asked, Were you at the crossing the night of the accident? The man said, Yes, I was. He said, Were you waving your lantern? The man said, yes, I was. Long after the trial, the crossing guard was overheard confessing. I'm glad I was never asked if there was a light in my lantern because the light had gone out. And this is the problem with the witness of many Christians. We're waving our lanterns, but there's no light. There's no generosity and integrity and reliability in our lives. And as a result, no one is inclined to listen to what we have to say. As one author put it, you are the light of the world, but the switch must be turned on. We've got to shine. 
I love how Paul refers to goodness, righteousness, and truth as fruit. For this is what a hungry man can sink his teeth into. Not just empty words, but love in action. People don't want bark. They want fruit. Reminds me of the three-day Bible conference. Great sermons were preached each of the three days. On the last day, a man responded to the altar call. He gave his life to Jesus. Afterwards, someone asked him, which of the pastors who spoke this week compelled you to come forward? The man was startled. He replied, it wasn't any pastor's preaching. It was my co-workers practicing. Recently, Yahoo Sports ran a story on Georgia football coach Mark Richt. In the article, the author made an amazing comment. And I quote, there isn't any way to separate Mark Rick, the football coach, and Mark Rick, the Christian. They are one and the same, always. And then he went on to give several examples. But what a powerful affirmation of a man's character. You see, integrity is being what you say you are all the time. Now think what you will about Coach Rick. But what the article says of him is what I hope can be said of you and me. That you'll never find any separation between Bob the salesman and Bob the Christian. Or between Mary the office manager and Mary the Christian. Or between Sam the banker and Sam the Christian. That there'll never be any discrepancy. This is what walking as children of light looks like in a person. No foggy identities here. No misty motives. No gray areas of morality. No shadow lands to which a person escapes when they're stressed or when they're pressured. No, this man or woman is a child of God and they are what they say they are all the time in every situation. You know, people today are searching for answers. They are open to the gospel. But you say, well, Sandy, the folks I talk to aren't open. They scoff and say they've heard it all before. But you see, that's the problem. They have heard the gospel, but they've never seen it lived out. And that's the gospel they're searching for. That's what would interest them if they could see it being lived out in your life. It reminds me of the Chinese farmer who went to the missionary compound to have cataract surgery. The procedure was successful. Immediately after, though, the man left town. He was gone for many months. When he finally returned, he was pulling a rope. And holding on to that rope was a string of blind men who had come for the very same surgery. The best witness for the gospel is a changed life. I hope you know your life is an advertisement for the gospel. But what if we put you on television? How many calls would we receive for more information? Listen to this poem. You're writing a gospel, a chapter every day, by the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? When we walk as children of light, there are two results. We prove what's good and we expose what's evil. Notice verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Heard of a lazy housekeeper who once complained, my house would stay clean and uncluttered if people didn't keep opening windows and letting in the light. Hey, it's only when the light comes in that we see the dust and the stains. 
When the light of Jesus comes flooding into our lives, that's what causes us to see how dirty and disheveled and in disarray our life had become. Hey, when you come to Christ, the Spirit of God enters your life and opens your eyes to the love of God and the truth of God and the glory of God. And it is a thrill to have spent your whole life in the dark and then suddenly the lights come on. The heat comes on. What a revelation. Reminds me of Norena. After Hurricane Katrina hit, it was discovered that she had no electricity in her home. She was getting by with a small lamp and a single burner. It took an electrician just a few hours to get the power back on. But here's the stunning wrinkle in her story. Norena's problems were found after Hurricane Katrina, but they didn't start there. She had been living without power since Hurricane Andrew, which struck South Florida in 1992. Norena had received an insurance settlement to repair damage from Andrew, but when the money ran out, so did her contractor, and so the work was never finished. It's amazing. This woman had lived in the dark for 15 years. No air conditioning, not one hot shower in 15 years. We're in talking South Florida. When CBS News interviewed Norena, she said, it's hard to describe having the electricity to switch on. It's overwhelming. She said she planned on letting the water get real hot and taking a bubble bath. I don't blame her. Norena's 15 years in the dark were not her choice. And yet I know folks who have deliberately spent decades in the darkness. They're more comfortable in the dark. They want to hide. And the best place to hide is in the darkness. One man confessed, I prefer darkness over light. The darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you can't see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because then you are free from what you were and can be what you want. Hey, a person can hide his sin and shame in the dark. Excuses and rationalizations flourish in dark corners. Hey, as long as you're in the dark, you don't have to deal with the sins that aren't seen. But once you come out into the light, everything changes. Sin gets exposed. Attitudes you harbored in the dark are now viewed as rebellion in the light. Little compromises you justified in the darkness are now seen as hideous in the light. In the dark, certain habits were deemed innocent, but now in the light, they are recognized as a deadly cancer. You know, during the winter, Northern cities, they use lots of salt on the roads to clear the roads of ice and snow. And after a time, the mixture of exhaust and salt and snow, it gets plastered onto the sides of the cars. All the cars end up looking murky gray. But on the first warm spring day, some fella, he goes out and he washes his car. And he restores it to its original color. And when everyone else on the block sees the one clean car, they suddenly realize how dirty their cars had become. And as Christians, we're called on to be the one clean car. You don't have to put on the white glove. Without being condemning and judgmental, 
You can expose the darkness in others by simply shining your light and being a beacon for Jesus Christ. But this is where the conflict arises. For when you're sound asleep and somebody flips on the lights, what's your immediate reaction? Well, it's not a very pleasant one, is it? It's not a welcoming one. The light can be a nuisance. It can be seen as an intruder. There are three ways that people respond to the light. First, people attack. They'll hit back. They get angry at you for disturbing their comfort and for interrupting their slumber. They're liable to throw something at you. Second, people avoid. They just try to roll over and avoid you. They'll pull a pillow over their head and hope you go away. But then third, some people appreciate. They thank you for waking them up. They've forgotten it was daylight savings time and they needed to get up an hour early to go to church. Hey, but realize whether they attack or avoid or appreciate doesn't relinquish us from our calling to shine the light. Paul tells us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't get entangled with the habits and practices of this world. Rather, expose them. Be that one clean car. Notice Paul doesn't say avoid contact with the people of the world. We need to rub shoulders with lost people. How else can we shine our light for Jesus? Just don't blend in. Don't mesh your lifestyle with their lifestyle. Don't adopt their values and their priorities. We need to shine our light. But when we do, let's make sure that it's sharp. The contrast is sharp and clear and decisive. Too many Christians today... Rather than walk as children of light, they've become children of the twilight. They've caved in, they've compromised, and they've capitulated here and there. Rather than stick out, they work to blend in. And now as a child of light, they're barely distinguishable from this dark world. Rather than live in the bright light of the Son of God, some Christians exist in a dim twilight of compromise. Hey, be careful when you as a Christian begin to bargain with this world. Don't make compromises. Reminds me of the hunter who was stalking the bear. He finally had the bear right in the sights of his rifle. He was just about to pull the trigger when the bear spoke up. He asked if the hunter was willing to negotiate. Well, the hunter was so surprised at hearing a talking bear, he agreed. The bear said, I want a full stomach. The hunter said, well, I want a fur coat. And after hours of negotiation, they both got what they wanted, yet the bear was the only one to walk away. (laughs) He got his full stomach, and the hunter got a fur coat. And the moral of the story is beware of compromise. Hey, you negotiate with this world long enough and you can expect to get taken. We need to expose evil, not get entangled in it. And then verse 12 tells us, For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Don't even engage in the water cooler conversation. It's talking about the shameful things that happened on TV the night before. You see, there's two ways to bring shame to yourself. One is to commit a shameful act. 
The other is to speak casually of another person's shameful acts. It's like a guy who shares his hour-long testimony. He goes on for 59 minutes detailing every despicable evil, every wicked detail of his sinful past. And then with that final minute, he tosses in that Jesus saved him. Don't even talk about what's shameful. I've heard some Christian testimonies that ended up in advertisement for the devil. The guy recounting the story inadvertently promoted what he was supposedly saved from. He glamorized sin, not the Savior. Hey, we drive out darkness, not by studying the darkness. Don't fall into that trap. Don't get on the internet and surf the web to learn what evils there are on the internet. That's just a quick way to get in serious trouble. An overactive curiosity will subject you to an endless pipeline of lethal sewage. Too many guys have gotten trapped by curiosity. Hey, if my goal is to clean you up, I don't need to study the slime you've been in. All I need is a bar of soap. Neither do we dispel the darkness by discussing it or by even fighting it. No, if you want to wake up someone who's in the darkness, just turn on the light. That's what verse 13 tells us. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. What a dark world needs most is not our condemnation. It's for us to walk in the light. Prisoners of darkness need children of light. Verse 14 quotes an ancient chorus. In my Bible, it's actually formatted as poetry. Scholars believe it was a liturgy, perhaps employed by Paul as maybe a baptismal song. Therefore, he says, he being Isaiah, Paul is quoting Isaiah 26, verse 19. Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. You and I are children of light. That's why we need to be wide awake spiritually. Are you wide awake to spiritual things? You know, it's interesting the things that a person can do while they're asleep. Did you know you can be asleep and still talk? You can talk in your sleep. There's such a thing as sleepwalking. You can walk in your sleep. You can sing in your sleep. You can even laugh in your sleep. You can even smile and nod at the pastor as if you're listening in your sleep. And the same is true of spiritual sleep. A Christian can be in a spiritual slumber, asleep to God, unaware of his presence, oblivious to God's concerns, and yet still sleepwalk right into the church and talk in his sleep and even sing worship songs in his sleep and laugh at just the right times in his sleep. Author Ken Hughes puts it, it is possible to live a dreamy life of unreality in the netherland of inaction. In other words, you say all the right words, but you're still asleep. Christian musician Keith Green wrote a song entitled, Asleep in the Light. Here are the soul-searching lyrics. The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can we be so dead when we've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave. and We can't even get out of bed. A battle rages around us. 
We need to tune in to those issues that matter to God. The devil has lulled the world to sleep. It is the church that needs to wake up. We can't afford to be asleep in the light. You remember the recent downfall of General David Petraeus? Someone characterized it as hubris meets high tech. Petraeus was a retired four-star general. He was the acting director of the CIA. When adultery with his biographer became front page news, Petraeus was outed by email. An article in the Washington Post said afterwards, there are no true secrets in the modern world. Privacy is an illusion. Every communication is potentially public. Like the gift of fire, technology is a magical device that if not used carefully, contains the seeds of our own destruction. Emails and texts can be forwarded, archived, retrieved. The veil of anonymity is fragile. And Christians of all people shouldn't be surprised Let me read verse 13 to you again. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Hey, the light of God shines into every corner. You need to know there is no crack. There is no crevice in your life into which the light of God will not shine. There's nowhere in the universe where you can hide from God's all-seeing eye in his inescapable gaze. And this is why we all need to come out of the darkness and into God's light. We need to open up to the Spirit's light in our lives. We need to cultivate these fruits of goodness and integrity and reliability. We need to refuse to live in the twilight of compromise and live in the bright light of God's presence. It's time for all of us who name the name of Jesus to wake up. Let's be faithful to the flame. Let's walk as children of light.